You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where it's not our fault if you don't like our show. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything has anyone has ever said or will say on this show. Uh, I'm really tired. Last week, as we've seen over the past month or so, there's been a couple of weeks off of episodes. You've got a best of put into the rotation selected by host emeritus Daniel T. Richards last week, uh, the Schrodinger's Racism edition. Uh, this week I am recording, but kind of tired. Had a cross country meet late on Friday night, so I didn't get home till like 11, get in bed later than that. Then Saturday all day I had a wrestling tournament and I'm still recovering from that. My voice may still have some raspiness because, man, you gotta, you gotta yell at girls' wrestling tournaments. And and when you have a lot of new girls and they're not used to hearing you or being coached, it takes a lot. And it's just the energy of having 13 girls and caring about what happens with all of them. That's just it's emotionally exhausting. So I don't have as much energy to care about farce this week. There was certainly farce. There was certainly farce. There was uh, some pretty funny farce, I think, as far as the NFL and Canada. What's going on up in Canada? I think we're going to lose more Canadian listeners. We lose our one Canadian listener. They start applauding Nazis. We'll have to get into that. (laughs) All right. Well, as you just heard, joining me this trip, my co-host from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello. Hello. Yeah, it's been a a great couple weeks. You know, uh, I got to talk about college football. You know, Michigan's doing well. uh, Sailing through our easy teams. (laughs) But uh, other than that, things are uh, it's starting to it's starting to rain here in uh, in a place of harmony. Um, it, it I went golfing yesterday with uh, my business partners, and uh, and it was my first time golfing in the rain. Didn't rain too hard, but uh, but uh, it's nice to have seasons again, Justin. I know I know it's, it's it's still it's still California, but at least it's Northern California, and they they actually it feels like fall up here. It, it's great. Well, it's got to be different if there's rain. I mean, when does it ever rain in California? <laughs> it rains for like one week in, in, in L.A. and everyone panics and then it stops and then it doesn't rain again for a year. So, yeah, when, when they think a hurricane's coming and then they all freak out and stop yeah, everything, school. Yeah. And it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like anyone was learning anyway. Well, that's a different story. That's one that I can't always get into, although I love saying things to kids in class and then i'm like what do you think it's like in california and they're like that's a good point because <laughs> everyone here has this you know the way kids are no kid likes where they're from right every yeah. kid thinks where they are sucks because when you're a kid you want to gro- go yeah you want to see the rest yeah, of the, the world you want to see what's out there in you. yeah right so they all think florida sucks and then i'm like florida's the best state in the country and then they think i'm nuts but then i start explaining the rest of the country to them and they're like oh okay we kind of get it <laughs> uh, some people, some of them will have to experience it for themselves. 
other thing to mention here is, did you see what ESPN slash ABC slash Disney is doing for the NFL? No idea. I know on college football they've been playing lots of Jersey Mike's commercials, so I love that. What are, what are they doing for the, for the NFL? It's even crazier than that. On Disney Plus, they're calling it Toy Story Fun Day Football, where they're animating the game live in the style of Toy Story, as if it's going on in Andy's room. Okay. And, and is this it, supposed to make you subscribe to Disney Plus? I think so, because the game, it's the London game. It's only available in ESPN Plus and Disney Plus. So I think this is their way of trying to like save their brand. I don't know. It's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. That is a bizarre cross-promotion. Yeah, why Toy Story? Do you think when they made Toy Story in the 90s, they were like, one day they're going to broadcast football like this on the internet? So wow. anyone out there, any midsiders out there, go take a look at that and see what you think of that. Because that's, that's a level of farce for me. It's like, let's just throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. And it's for kids, so they're like, let's teach you what a punt is. It's like, who is the audience for this? I don't know. Who's watching it? I mean, do, do you need to do you need a review on what a punt is? Uh, I don't, but I can think of a few NFL teams that might. <laughs> I can probably recall a few, too. All right. that That's the uh, the Disney farce. So we won't go too deep into that this week. But we got a lot of Canadian. We got a lot of Native American. We got a lot of corporate. Uh, and we got a lot of dating farce this week. Let's go diverse, into it. In. Diverse. Diverse farce. Let's hit our diverse farce in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like really fun. No, we just complaining. I hope that this mic is on. Cause I'm on a roll here. I hope this is making some sense. I hope that you throw up your hands and sing it and tell all the haters that they should just shut up and smile. Yeah. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals, Patreon is per episode, Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. First bit of farce here comes from the great white north. See what I did there, William? Mm -hmm. See what Mm -hmm. I did there? Uh, Canada has a, a, a Nazi kerfuffle that has taken over the internet. I'm barely on the internet, and I'm still aware of this. I'm sure William can tell us more. But I found a political, uh, sorry, a Politico, which that is a, I've always thought that website was very confusingly named. A Politico, it's the company of politics, article, and I'm going to read like three short paragraphs here. House Speaker Anthony Rhoda, this is of course House Speaker of the Canadian government, who the liberals blamed, capital L, liberals, blamed for causing the bizarre incident that quickly caught the world's attention, refused to heed his calls to step down Monday and remained in his post overseeing proceedings that were mostly about a scandal that has him at the center. He apologized in person and took full responsibility for inviting and leading the tribute to a veteran of Nazi SS division of Ukrainian soldiers he called a hero, prompting a standing ovation from parliamentarians. The man was... Yaroslav Hunka, 98, who fought... 98 is his age, not the name. You lose that when it's being read. But, I mean, when we're talking about Nazis and Ukrainians, it's possible (laughs) he was given a number. (laughs) 
Imagine having the number 98 from the... I shouldn't go down this road. I, I apologize. No. No. Right. <laughs> no. Pull up. Pull up. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it right there. Who fought for the first Ukrainian division? That's a statement, not a question. Also known as the 14th Waffen Grenadier Division at the Nazi SS. Okay, I'm sorry, William. Before we continue, reading that... I'm going to read that paragraph again. There are just so many jokes to make here. I know that man was Yaroslav. I'm not going to make them, but I'm just saying, <laughs> just listen to this and think of how funny this entire paragraph is. Is that this man was Yaroslav? I have to make sure I have to pinch myself for a second. Are we not in a South Park episode? Yes. Does this not sound like a South Park episode? Yes, this entire paragraph. That man was Yaroslav Honka, 98. Think of that name. Right now, I'm sure I'm probably pronouncing it somewhat incorrect, but I don't really think there's any other way to pronounce that. You're telling me and then, your Polish heritage doesn't let you uh, unlock the uh, Ukrainian pronunciation guide? The Ukrainian? No, I don't have the Ukrainian Nazi pronunciation guide in my head. Oh no! Who fought for the first Ukrainian division, also known as the 14th Waffen Grenadier? That totally looks like Waffle Grenadier Division of the Nazi SS. Like, this in itself is just funny. But, William, like, how is this possible in the year 20? Like, how could you be that politically tone deaf to bring a guy in and not do a background check on him to know he's a Nazi or was a Nazi? Uh, Welcome to Canadian politics, where you're supposed to leap up and clap like a seal for anyone who has the the Ukrainian flag on. Isn't that what this is? Yes. This is Of course no one this would is question. over because we, we're not allowed to question Zelensky. Like there there are definitely I, I am not pro Russia. Like let's get that clear. Uh they've I'm 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 glad that uh Putin can't travel anywhere because he has an arrest warrant out for him from the Hague. I think it's well okay. deserved. I'm glad you but said that because my Polish side was about to end this show right now. <laughs> but shouldn't uh, shouldn't Zelensky be on that list as well? We know that there's some shady stuff going on in Ukraine. We're not allowed to question it or or say anything about it. We're just supposed to clap like a seal. Ukraine has a Nazi problem. We've known this for a while. I know that's part of Russia's like smokescreen to uh, justify their invasion. But that's that's not just because it's. Being used by Russia doesn't mean it's uh, not also have some truth in it. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. And I think what you're really getting at here is the oversimplification of the world and the oversimplification of issues in today's society and in today's media culture and social media culture where it's Nazi bad, uh, Canadians good. Ukraine don't we, good, don't we, so they can't just, overlap. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna connect this to uh, our film <clears throat> criticism. Isn't this like trying to cast? Uh, you know, we always talk about bad villains being sort of like completely just type class cast as like evil, right? Like just bad guy equals evil. No, no, no motivation or complexity or any sort of like, you know, you're just supposed to know they're bad and they're bad, and that's exactly what you're supposed to think about with Nazis, right? You know, yes. you're not supposed to think about. Anything, why? any context, no no understanding of what was going on or why. Like, how did Ukrainians end up being Nazis? Does anyone even know? 
right? That's what I don't know. And I would, it doesn't make sense to me knowing the history of Eastern Europe. <laughs> well, I, I, I've, I've been following this and like looking around because I remembered a little bit of my World War II history, but I found a tweet that summarizes it pretty well. So it says in the, in the late 1940s and 1950s, Canada took a large number of former Nazis, many of whom were SS veterans because they were good anti-communists. These Nazis proceeded to terrorize anti-Nazi Ukrainian Canadians. And that's the root of the controversy in Canada. They firebombed some stuff, some buildings and stuff um, in in Canada. This is in Canada. So this is why this is why this is even bigger uh, um, story, because not that this person did it. Right. I'm not saying that. But the anti-communists and and uh, and communists um, were fighting in Canada. So this is well, this is uh this is there's historical layers here that people don't understand, right? That that there were pro-communist Ukrainians, there were anti-communist Ukrainians, and the anti-communist Ukrainians sided with the only other power available to them at the time, which was Hitler. And that was a terrible mistake, right? Other countries made that decision too in World War II, right? Not just Ukraine. Uh, so it's, it, it, there's layers here, first of all, but all of a sudden being anti-Russia is your Trump card to get out of the fact that you sided with the Nazis. I don't know about that. Well, yeah. And that's what you're talking about with this oversimplification of everything where no one's looking at what's actually going on. And how and, do we handle issues such also, as this? Justin, because doesn't that explain doesn't that explain all the Nazi uh, symbols, right? That that people keep pointing out. It's if this is part of Ukrainian history, right? This anti-Russian that that symbols that us from the outside would see as Nazi symbols, couldn't they also just also be anti-communist symbols, right? This gets back to the and same thing when 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 we look at America and people outside of America see the rebel flag and they see racism and it, and I've you know we've talked about this on the show but gosh back in season four or season five you know my family heritage is from the south many people from the south don't see it that way don't see the rebel flag as racist right as just racism and slavery I mean I, I, I grew up in the north I grew up in the north and I never. Yes, yeah, never saw it that, that way. way. Yeah, exactly. That's a much more modern interpretation. And maybe it's correct, right? Like I'm not arguing the correctness or incorrectness. I'm just saying that what you have to you have to understand there are two parts of the communication here. What the people who are using the symbol, what it means to them, and then what other people see the symbol as, what it's communicating to other people. And that's certainly changed over time. Same thing with the Nazi symbols in, in Ukraine, right? Like we have to we have to think what do these symbols mean to the people that are using them. Is it is it uh, is it racism in uh, in Third Reich or is it anti-communism or is it a little bit of both? And what does that mean? How do we judge it then? Right. What you're talking about, William, is whether meaning is intrinsic or not. And yeah. the people who are looking at this in such a simplified manner are acting as if all these communication symbols, which are constructed by humans, have intrinsic meaning to them. So the swastika or any Nazi symbols have a certain intrinsic meaning to people. And that's hatred, that's genocide, that's everything Hitler believed. So they think anyone using it is meaning that. Same thing with the rebel flag. They think that means black people are inferior, white supremacy, slavery is good, and anyone using it means that. But meaning is not intrinsic 
I would argue, in anything. It's certainly not intrinsic in communication symbology, which is created by humans. And I'm going to add another layer to this, William. Hopefully everyone followed that. It becomes even more complicated when, as we've talked about on the show numerous times, we are living in a time where we are destroying all past meaning and constructing our own. To take a weird turn here that nobody would think coming, think of the Save by the Bell reboot on or continuation series on Peacock they had, where what did they do? They tried to retroactively define the original series as an example of white privilege. The whole Zach Morris's trash thing, he was acting <laughs> off of white privilege. Yeah, yeah. Remember we saw that? Yeah. That's a perfect example of this, where we're trying to destroy all meaning. And when you do that, and you decide the ultimate evil is Nazis, going back to your film criticism point, haven't we seen an uptick in that? Where, oh, we want to have a villain in this movie? Oh, the villain is Nazis again. And haven't I said over and over again, I'm sick of Nazi paranoia films and shows? It's because they think meaning is intrinsic and they're trying to redefine everything. I mean, there was a tweet in the thread you sent that I thought summed things up perfectly as far as what people are getting wrong here. We won't get to the root of this problem until we have a pervasive or sorry, until we have a reckoning of how pervasive anti-communism parentheses fascism has been in our history. A Nazi being honored in Canadian Parliament wasn't a fluke. It was the culmination of our post-World War II project to rehabilitate the Third Reich. So, William, they're building off of what you were saying, that Ukrainians latched on to the Nazis to battle the communists, because as we know, the communists came in and took over Eastern Europe. I mean, look at what happened to Poland. If you go into Warsaw, I mean, there's so much communist architecture there. And they're latching on to that to say... Oh, well, fascism only means Nazism because that's what in the modern time they're trying to define all fascism as Nazism. They're seeing all fascism is strong centralized government and not communism, even though communism is another form of fascism because they're trying to define the Nazis as right wing and fascism as right wing. And they're seeing this rather than looking what's actually going on. And this is the true source of the farce here, this oversimplification and this attempt to make symbology intrinsically meaningful. Yep. So, uh, yeah, any uh, any of our Canadian listeners out there, hopefully we uh, we covered this sensitive topic. Uh, well enough, but I'd be interested to know what people I'll cover think. my sensitive topic. <laughs> I'd be interested to know what people think. I, I don't know that anything will will come of this. Because, you know, Canada's already pretty far. I, we talk about how the UK is ahead of us in the woke uh, stuff. Canada's ahead of us in the uh, anti-free speech stuff. So uh, how long before it'll be a hate crime to describe this person as a Nazi, Justin? That's my question. I mean, none of it matters. They're just going to get bored with this and start focusing on American politics again in like three days. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, who was it? Uh, one of the midsiders was pointing out that, that that was the true cause of everything. So uh, I expect another travel advisory to come out saying not to visit Florida. <laughs> because of the we're not sure if they're real Nazis who ha- hang out outside. Isn't that's that the true. funniest thing out of all this, by the way? There may be that, communists. Like... Oh, wait, there may be communists in New York. In San Francisco, travel advisor. Yeah, but remember we were talking about the possibly cosplaying Nazis outside of Disney in Orlando? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the the definitely not feds outside Disney. Yeah, but there are actual Nazis in Canada, and the rest of the world doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't care. Nope, not at all. <laughs> but when we're talking about symbology and we're talking about intrinsic meaning, uh, one of the greatest ways that's occurred in American society is with mascots, and of course we saw the the Washington Redskins change their names to the Commanders. You want to talk about William? Uh, hypocrisy with this could a commanders be seen as both a negative and a positive based upon your your connotation and based upon your perspective yeah definitely yeah (laughs) but they put they got rid of redskins and made commanders because they thought commanders was less offensive where you could argue that master bedroom can we really have commanders like this oh man like I didn't realize they got rid of Matt. When did they get rid of Master Bedroom? On I, the first time I, uh, I I ran into getting rid of Master Bedroom is uh, in my home app on my uh, Apple because uh, I, I use uh, HomeKit automation for everything. When I was making my new house here a couple months ago, it uh, the default choice was no longer Master Bedroom; it was Main Bedroom. Now it might have changed a long time ago, right? Because like, I haven't made you know I just moved and I hadn't made a new home quote unquote in the home app in a long long while but yeah it was main bedroom not master bedroom that's got to be recent because i've never heard of that although i'm in florida so what do i know uh and isn't main bedroom just as offensive because that means those people are the main people in the house and the other people are just side characters isn't that just yeah, as offensive I, everything I, I saw a great article talking about uh the evolution of uh of uh how to refer to mentally ill uh, folks, uh, how moron was seen as offensive. And so, and that was the scientific term at first. So then we had retard, retarded, and then that was offensive. So then that was the scientific term first, and then it was considered, uh, and then we have mentally handicapped. And they just like listed all the terms. And like, it's like, this is a, you know, just a continuous cycle. We're just going to keep going. Like we keep having euphemisms or scientific terms defined. Then they become offensive. Like it's just uh, this merry-go-round. So I think it's the same. Well, that's here. the... Well, it is the same because that's the religious aspect of it, because ultimately what it comes down to is the original sin of the social justice movement that humans are necessarily flawed. So the way we communicate is always going to be based upon oppressive power structures. And there's no way to ever have perfect language because people are imperfect. It's the same logic. It's just in language. And that's part of why they control the language. The other reason is to control people. And that's what we came out of the NFL this week when we're talking about the commanders and the Redskins, where a lawsuit against the commanders by the National Congress of American Indians said, as the self-proclaimed voice of Native Americans everywhere, NCAI, which, would you watch that show instead of NCIS? (laughs) <laughs> the National yeah. Congress of American Indians. I feel like that'd be better than like Reservoir Dog. What was that? Re- Reservation Dogs. Re- yeah, right. Which, like that. yeah, which seems like it should be like a spinoff of a Tarantino movie, but instead it looks just like a depressing naturalistic drama about like alcoholics and gangs on an American Indian reservation. But no, I'd watch NCAI. Uh, and the Commanders did more than attack NAGA's integrity, they silenced over 90% of Native Americans who disagree with them, the lawsuit alleges. They also silenced Americans. 
So this is what we're talking about, William, where people deciding symbology is intrinsic. And then regardless of what 90% of Native Americans say and what the majority of Americans say, they go ahead and changing things. Nobody was real. This lawsuit is basically saying nobody was really offended by Redskins. So it shouldn't have been changed. And they even go a step further, don't they? And say, you know, this hurts the public image of Redskins and it takes them out of the public eye because the mascot was based on a real person. And I mean, look, not to always make things about Florida, but isn't this why the Seminoles are not changed? Yes. Because even though it's, you know, objectifying a group of people, the Seminoles want it. Didn't they we say get rid of Uncle like Ben this. and Aunt Jemima as well? Let's not forget them. R.I.P. both of them. Right. Right. But here, this is what's crazy. We always talk about, you know, majority, minority, all of these things. We are now doing things for the slimmest minority of people. The mascot was changed for the Redskins for what percentage of people? Five, three, two? Isn't that I would say uh, percentage of football fans, probably less than 1% if we exclude the sports journalists. If we just look oh, at yeah. fans, then it's I probably was, I, I was talking population alive. Yeah, I agree with that, just looking at fans. What about the population at large, though? So that makes it even worse, doesn't it? That yeah. It's the people outside of football who are telling the people inside football what they should and shouldn't do. I hate to I hate to bring up Gamergate, Justin, but if you're playing the drinking game, finish your drink. This is exactly what happened during Gamergate, right? It's a hundred percent the same thing. This is this was the this was the root of Gamergate. People like to forget that that's what it was about. It was people this sort of collective grassroots like outcry because People were tired of people outside of gaming telling gamers how they should be and how they should act and what their culture should and should not be. And uh, and that that was that was it. Right. And what, what will the NFL have its Gamergate moment? And here I don't mean it in the sense that any other journalist would mean it when they would write something like that. But that's that's what that's what needs to happen for the NFL. Right. There needs to be there needs to be this. Uh, fan upswelling of uh, again because it's against the press and how how the sports press covers the NFL right everyone was in support of this well likewise they were in to to do a really hot take everyone was on board with the should I say the word the lynching of Deshaun Watson Ooh, now I don't think it was racially motivated in the way some people might And I use that word just to be provocative. But my point was, how incensed were people online about him as if he was actually a rapist and actually out here forcing himself upon hundreds of women and acted like he should never have a job or anything? Because what sells in the media? What sells in the media? The Me Too movement sells. The idea of a powerful man... And yeah, maybe you can bring in the idea of a powerful black man, a rich black man, rich young black man. Being aggressive towards women, being oppressive towards women, that sold and people bought into it. People bought into it. It's the same thing, William. 
I think though the this is what I like to push back a little bit on though. I think intern the problem is also internal to the league, and what I mean by that is I think they acquiesce to these things to try and keep the social justice left at bay. Sort of like oh we can like it's a name who cares it's the same color scheme what does it matter it helps us get rid of the owner we don't like anyway Dan Snyder so let's just do it and then they'll be happy oh let's feed Deshaun Watson to the media we'll suspend him for a year that'll get the media off our back everything will be fine same thing when remember when Tom Brady got suspended for four games for more probably or not knowing that balls deflate in colder weather (laughs) yeah it's the same thing that was feeding it up to the media because people were sick of seeing somebody win based on merit and win based on ability and that's not what those people want the world to be like now we know william and any compromise between poison and food who wins yeah poison yeah, just not, just the, just the other just the other day. I know it's been two weeks since we've uh, we've had the show. I was looking at some old notes. I'm still you know unpacking old boxes. I had all these notes from uh, I won't say how long ago because it'll give away which employer where a, a certain employer I was working for had removed merit from one of their core values, and I wrote this uh, you know little two pager on like why merit was important, and uh, we've seen this attack on merit for a long time. Well, I think that transitions perfectly into the next story, William, where you were telling me stories about the hiring process nowadays. So on Bloomberg, there's this big article about how corporate America promised to hire a lot more people of color. It actually did. And it says the year after Black Lives Matter protests, the S&P 100 added more than 300,000 jobs. Ninety four percent went to people of color. Now, we could, you know, dig into this article super deep, but... This is the basic point. The overall gra- blah, 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 the overall job growth included 20,524 white workers. The other 302,570,000 jobs, or 94% of the headcount increase, went to people of color. Now, I don't know how they're measuring that, right? We've been reading Plessy v. Ferguson at school, and we point out that Plessy was white presenting. You know, plus he was the guy who went on the white uh, railroad car when he wasn't supposed to in Louisiana because of the separate but equal uh, law, the Louisiana Separate Car Act for Trains. Uh, but he was white presenting and he was only one eighth black. So I don't know, William, how they're measuring this, right? This yeah. is part of the problem with this whole thing is how do you actually get this? But this is, well, th- I, well just b- before you make your point, just pause. So, uh, Employers above a certain size are required to ask for folks to self-report what they are for business census and other federal reasons. There's like you're supposed to track this stuff. So that's, I think, where it comes from. But I would say it comes from self-reporting. And if you don't self-report, they are supposed to assign you something. Well, right. And that's what I'm saying is I don't know how statistically that works out. Because remember... Anyone who has, and this is a tradition that's been going on since slavery. And this is what we were talking about, about Plessy, right? He was only one eighth black and he was white presenting. That means he had one great grandparent who was black, but he looked white. 
So he was considered black. Same thing with Obama, right? Obama was, is white and black, but he's considered what? Black. No one ever Mm -hmm. says Obama is the first mixed president. They always say he's the first what president? Black president. I'm not going there. I'm not going. I'm already. I'm already canceled for like three things I've said in this episode. I'm not going. I'm not going there with Obama. Gay? I don't think Obama first gay president. <laughs> okay, maybe he's the first gay president. I don't think he's Muslim though, but he might be gay. He might be. I don't know. Maybe he's like a two point seven five on the Kinsey scale. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't really care. Look, we've said this before. Out of literally, literally all the things to care about with the president, at the bottom of my list is. What percentage of his blood or DNA comes from what quote unquote yeah, race well, or ethnicity, <laughs> right? His ancestry. And also right, right below that or above that, I don't even care is what genitalia he puts his mouth on. I don't care about either of those things. They mean nothing to me. Zero mean nothing to me. And that's, that's the crazy thing here. I have no idea how they measure any of this, but as this article says, people of color make up a minority of the U.S. population and in most cases are underrepresented underrepresented at big U.S. companies. In 2021, Hispanic, Asian, and black people made up a vast majority of the added workers. A trend that analysts say is necessary to overcome their historic underrepresentation. And here is my problem. William, I'm not going to start saying things like reverse racism because I don't really believe this is racism because I don't think they're looking at individuals here and saying, oh, you're a worse person because of it. Like, I don't say, think they're looking at any individual and saying, oh, you suck because you're white. But I do think this is collectivism. It's collectivism on steroids. And it's saying the only way to fix the world is to harm individual lives indirectly. So in order to make things more collectively equal, we're going to make them less individually beneficial because you can only look at this, William, and by inference, say who is being hurt by this. Uh, Any any individual who wants to get in on merit, regardless of their anything. Oh, that's you see, you went to the real issue here, right? Because yeah. what what are you saying happens? You were just telling me about this. Yeah. Right? So because uh, so I'm I'm I fortunately uh, look, uh, just before you continue, you said I haven't applied for a job in a while. I mean, yeah, 2020 is when I last applied for a job. However, I happen to apply to teach public schools where there's so little merit that yeah. they they had to ignore who I am. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're at such a need for anyone who's competent at teaching that they had to be blind to my race and gender. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Well, and you're a minority in the teaching profession. So, um, dude, our new APs, <laughs> I swear to God, you, we've gotten three new EPs, APs, assistant principals, three new APs, not executive producers. Although what's the difference? Um, assistant principals, I swear to God to you, they're all gay. Or somewhere on the LGBTQIA plus plus two spirit, whatever. And I don't care. Like, they seem good at their job and they seem nice. But how, this is what we're talking about right now. How statistically is that possible? Yeah. Well, we know that doesn't help the That doesn't help the anti-groomer argument, right? Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't. Um, So, 
when you apply for a job, and I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there, listeners that have applied for a job recently, this is really ramped up, I can tell, in the last like four or five years. Every job posting now is really hammering home, what is your race, what is your ethnicity, what is your gender, what are your pronouns, what's your disability status, what's your veteran status. And obviously this is comply with some federal laws, but it's across the board, man. And you can decline to self-identify, but I'm here to tell you a secret because I sit on the other side of the hiring process as well. Many large companies look for you to put that you are some sort of minority and that that increases the odds that your resume will get looked at because they're, they are trying to hire uh, a, you know minority candidates. And so um, – Well, right, and that's where the merit is back. hurt. Yeah, that's where merit is hurt. That's right. Yeah, you want, you want to – you know, why uh, – uh, at certain employers, definitely, I think, in violation of California law um, that I've worked with, they would purposely make sure that women in particular were in the candidate pool for interviews. They would source right, specifically so women. And the demographics and Justin, the are privileged say, over the yeah. accomplishments. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and so imagine imagine if if. Imagine interviewing for like, let's just make something up, interviewing a software engineer and you get and you have in your interview stream. Think about how this makes the candidate feel in your interview stream. You have someone from like Caltech or uh, or MIT as a man, and then you have a woman from UCSD in the same candidate pool taking the same. interview. It's almost enough to make me transition. Yeah. Well, think of it. Think of it from the candidate's perspective. Like you're on a different tier, right? Like, like you're you're in a different world, right? Like there, it, it's 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 got to be uncomfortable. Um, but uh, the the other thing, the other thing I would say is how many of these jobs, Justin, that were post, uh, uh you know, the 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 George Floyd, whatever, uh, uh mostly uh, fiery but peaceful protests. How much of these were DIE, the die positions? Like, how many of these were actual job jobs that contribute to the company and not just DIE jobs? Because I know a lot, well, right. like, all of a sudden, a lot of companies were interested in filling out their DIE department, right? Well, right. And that's the other thing that isn't discussed in these statistics. So we talked about how the the racial side of the statistics is nearly impossible to figure out. They don't go into at all that we know of. I mean, maybe somewhere buried deep in this study, which isn't being reported, is the types of jobs that these are for. Because this could be even worse. And what I mean by that, William, is imagine saying we need to hire a bunch of black people, but we're going to hire, we're going to create positions for them in which they really have no effect on the company. So but we're giving positions. them jobs. Yeah, well, so that's right. That's what I'm getting. DIE, HR, all yep. of these sort of "quote unquote" soft skill Cultural, positions. Cu- culture officer, chief culture officer, uh, blah blah blah. Yeah, those those sort of. Now, am I am I claiming they're being so insidious about it? Well, no. This goes back to the old argument of who's a true believer and you know who's a who's a, a manipulator, you know who's a puppet master. I don't know. I don't know who's a true believer and who isn't. But if you look at it from that perspective. That's pretty, pretty bad in the sense that it doesn't accomplish anything. One, it destroys merit. Two, 
it hurts the overall economy because now you're giving basically money to people for doing nothing that they haven't earned and you're taking that away from the the system right you're taking that away yeah. from where it would naturally flow in the economy and then three you're not actually helping the group you're purporting to help you're not actually helping the people but of course this goes back to what i'm saying the ultimate problem is this is the collectivism right the collectivism hurts individual merit but then it also necessarily hurts the group it's claiming to help it hurts the collective it's claiming to help the entire collective of the society and the individual groups that it's claiming to help so nothing is accomplished here destruction is accomplished that's what's right And, and that's where we go back to the question of true believer or puppet master because yeah. true believers don't think they're being destructive puppet masters do you you have to decide out there when you meet people who they are i do find though william and maybe this is the pendulette in me where i believe most people are good i don't think most people are true believers being willfully destructive i think they're kind of dupes or there's something wrong with them to the point that they believe they're actually helping. But that's yeah. That's maybe my I'm, view of maybe, maybe, Justin, I'm a little more pessimistic than you, which is a rarity. I think that it's that I'll, I would say the majority, it's just driven by tribalism. So they're, you know, they're on Team Blue or whatever, you know, political team they feel like they're a part of. And they will puppet whatever they like. They, they, they sort of just mindlessly, emotionally puppet whatever, whatever the like you said whatever the whatever the either true believers or puppet masters say they they don't they don't they're 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 evil in the sense that they've abdicated their mind not in the sense that they yeah. that they've really believe in it yeah and i i would agree with you and i think that they think they're doing good so i think we're yeah. saying the same thing i'm just saying it differently than you are i agree that evasion is the source of and well i would say no low self esteem but I don't want to get into that level of philosophy, but yeah, I agree that evasion is absolutely terrible and it's evil and that these people are mainly evading. That's why I was saying that I think they believe they're doing good, but they have some sort of issue. I think that issue is what leads to the evasion. So we're saying the same thing. I don't disagree with you. I just don't think there's my point is I don't think everyone out there is Hitler. I don't think everyone out there is Mao. In fact, I think our last story shows how it's most people are just trying not to, like you said, suffer emotional anguish. So you found this tweet thread and this was, this has been popping up a bunch recently. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's coming back around. Remember when we talked about this with Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos, he wrote about the sexist, sexist and how men were removing themselves. We are seeing this. Like, I don't know if people are just noticing it or it's coming up again, but this seems to be the effects of what he wrote about, right? Because that was like, how many years ago? Five? That was back when he was sane. So yeah, like six years ago. Well, I don't know if he was ever sane, but he kept it together more easily. Yeah, he kept it together more. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't have the entire establishment going after him. It's it's a lot easier to keep it under control when you just think you're in the corner of your closet talking like a crazy person. Wait, what? That's true. That's true. Okay. So... This tweet from Date Psych, which I, I assume is like a dating psychologist person, neuroscience, blah, 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 research interests in attractiveness and dating. Now, to be fair, this person only has 27.4K followers 
on Twitter. So you're saying but, they're irrelevant? No, I'm just saying. That's what the I kids think. Say. You're supposed to say how many followers yeah. you have, Justin, right after that? <laughs> well, I don't have any, so. Like five <laughs> people listen to this podcast right now, and one That's of them is myself. So. Shout out to our five um, listeners. <laughs> I mean, it's only the same 50 people on the internet anyway, right, Michael Bay? But my point in saying that is, you know, I don't know the reliability of his um, research or anything, but I do know that um, this is a trend that's been going on for a while and been talked about. So I think we have enough sources to, to discuss this. So this guy tweets, why are so many young men single? Are they excluded from a brutal mating market by society? Probably not. 45% of men, 18 to 25, have never approached a woman in person. And, uh, you know, there's all this, all these charts and everything. And I think this is very telling. The first thing here is, and he points this out in another tweet, that the reason this is happening and so many men are virgins and single is they're simply not trying. And isn't that what we always say, William, that everything about this collectivism and social justice is just going to go towards people not trying at things? Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, this is there's an interesting uh, video. Uh, I'm going to post it uh, in in the channel uh, by the YouTuber. Think before you sleep. I think I've mentioned him on the on the uh, show before. He does a lot of good videos. Um, he says the problem, the, t the video title is the problem with m men being feminized. And he talks about at the end, he talks about what you can do as a man to, uh, improve your dating. And one of the things that he, you know, he talks about being mindful of fashion and how you look at the right haircut for you, go to the gym. Like he gives you like very practical things. And one of the things he talks about is learn how to have conversations and how to start conversations. And and he's he's hitting exactly the same point that this article is is talking about. We've been telling men that their interest in women is evil, right? That their motivation is evil. So therefore, them initiating conversation is, you know, a sexual assault of some kind, right? If you're interested and you talk to the person, uh, then that's, you know, that's just evil and gross, right? And uh, and I think Adam Carolla, doesn't he point this out? I I'm, I'm probably won't get it exactly right. He points it out a lot. He's like, the... Uh, if someone hits on you, uh, it depends as a woman if they're cute or not. Depends on whether it's uh, gross or flattering, right? It's completely whether whether they're attractive to you, whether it's welcome or unwelcome, which is like not completely not objective, right? Like if you're, it would be sexual harassment if you're not uh, attractive, and it's uh, it's perfectly fine if you are attractive. Well, right, and that that's actually something that. Uh, my friends and I talked about in college way back in the day. And this is sort of another one of these checkpoints where it's like, well, why do you have this show? Why do you know how all this stuff works? Because where I grew up and where I went to school, right? I went to a private school in Massachusetts and then I went to Ithaca college, you know, one of the most leftist schools in the country was ahead of the curve with all this. And we used to talk about it, especially because, you know, we were like these guys who thought like, there was something inherently wrong with us. We were unattractive. We felt like if we approached women, and I'm saying we because of it was this is my friend group, right? These are people I lived with. We would be labeled creepy 
that was what they used to say back in the day, William. I don't know if you ever yeah. experienced that as a, yeah. as a gay oh, man yeah. or you heard straight men. Yeah. Yes. You were creepy. You know, oh, you were creepy. You don't want to be creepy because if you're labeled that, well, that's the end of it. That's what it was. And that's yeah, and what this video, disturb- to get back to the video, which I think uh, everyone should watch. Um, he talks about how he has an example of someone who spent $8,000 on dating coaches and none of them talked about the fact that he was looking creepy, how he was doing it. It was the how that was important. Does that make sense, Justin? Like how he was having conversation, how he was talking, right. the words he was using, his tone. Right. You know, th- this was coming off as creepy, objectively creepy, right? And instead of telling men, right. you know, and young men especially, that all interactions with women, r- you risk being creepy, giving them the actual things. Like, here's how you, you know, you know, here's the words and how you should say them. And here's here's how you can work on your voice and make sure you don't sound creepy. Here's how to have your posture. Like those sort of things, right? So that you don't come off as creepy. Well, I don't know if you remember, William, in the mid 2000s, a group of men started to give these techniques. Do you know what they called themselves? Pickup artists. And do you remember what the culture said about the pickup artists? Oh, they were predatory and they were what? Creepy. And they were oppressive towards women. Because here's the thing, William, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. But this goes back to what we were saying about symbology being non-intrinsic. Yeah. They want to believe that it's all intrinsic. And if you give that messaging to men, right, and young boys, that it's intrinsic, and then you give them the messaging that women are the ones who are in control of it, their interpretation is what matters, that takes the power away from the men. And what I mean by that is this thread that this guy tweeted. So I didn't watch the video. I didn't know there was a video. I apologize. But I read the thread. And he said that men who felt like they had there was an external locus of control in dating reported more difficulty in dating. And he then just said, you have to try. He said, quote, women are not just going to fall into your your lap. But he doesn't want to, to talk about the systemic roots of modern dating woes yeah and to be clear this but is a different person out, than the than the, the the tweet author this video but i think it dovetails so nicely because justin isn't this also show why the the sort of pickup artist stuff failed is because they still looked at they took they they took what women what the feminization the feminized view of men was and just flipped it over right they inverted it and said, well, we'll just we'll just act as if we're in control of this, which that isn't true either. Right. right. Because you look at the you right. look at Nobody's all the, control. you know, for, for some of the good stuff that was in there about how to present yourself, how to take care of yourself, how to approach, how to talk. Right. Some of those things, some of that practical advice was good. But the underlying sort of um, uh, uh, philosophy of the man woman relationship was still using the same premises. So that's why they all failed. That's why all those pickup artists. I think there's only there's not any of them have had any successful marriages, right? No, but if you read, um, there's a couple of good books called uh, The Game and then The Rules. And actually, Neil Strauss, who wrote those books in his second book, The Rules, he actually goes into a lot of what you're talking about in regards to his relationship with his mother and everything. It's I wouldn't have thought those books would have ever been good, but I thought The Rules was a phenomenal book about how all of that works because I think there is a lot of 
men needing to reclaim masculinity in the sense of not collectivism? Because again, I think, William, what this goes back to is the flawed premise of one gender has to have control in the dynamic over the other gender. That it's, and this was when we were kids too, right? It was always who has the power in the relationship. When you were a kid, oh, you know, oh, the woman has to wait three days to call back so she has the power. Or, you know, if a man approaches you too quickly and you give in, oh, you're giving up your, your power to him. It was never about, oh, here's your interest in them. He's interested in you. Oh, there's mutual interest. Let's develop mutual respect. And this is unique, right? It's because like a Marxist, the Marxist relationships, man. It's gross. It is Marxist relationship because they, it, it takes hold in kids because kids haven't dated a lot and they haven't been around a lot of people. So think about it. If like you're a young boy or girl and one person likes you and it's the first person you like, well, then you're going to think what's your success rate always going to be? A hundred percent. And right. And then you don't take it for what it is and how special it is. But that's what isn't talked about. The reason you should be okay expressing yourself and being assertive is that's a unique situation. This is what you're talking about with the the pickup artist taking what women did and inverting it and saying, oh, they say we want to approach every woman. Okay, well, we're going to approach every woman and do it in a skillful way so we get yeah. what we want. But what yeah. does that do? That devalues the approach of a woman. You should only approach a woman that you find attractive. And yes, William, you should only approach a man you should find attractive. You get oh, the okay. point I'm making, though, yes? Well, if I found a woman attractive, I would approach them. Yes, I know. I witnessed it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, You get the point, though, right? That this is all about not just the feminization of culture. It's the collectivization of culture and the subjectivizing of culture. Yes? Yeah, it is. All right, I think that's a good place to end Life on the Midside this week. Uh, Let's talk about some art, although not a lot of exciting things to talk about this week. But we're going to do it anyway in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You go to the midside.com and the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, and in there will be the Discord join code. We'd love to hear from you during the week. You can give some opinion on some trailers. Uh, You can give us some shows and movies to watch, or you can give us some farce to discuss. You too can become a producer on the show and do my job for me because I'm too fucking busy. Yeah, I swore. Deal with it. This week, William, I saw the creator. We talked about this trailer on the show previously, and it's a big sci-fi movie starring John David Washington. 
It's about artificial intelligence. And I want to know if you've seen it, if you want to see it, what your opinion of it is in I any haven't, way. I haven't seen much uh, reaction to it, but uh, I believe, you know, any sci-fi, I would at least consider it. But I'm interested to hear uh, hear your view on it. Well, I am going to disappoint you, William. I'm going to disappoint you. Ready for my one-sentence review? I'm ready. In the middle of Avatar with AI, a monkey blows up a tank intentionally. That is my one-sentence review of this movie. What? <laughs> okay. So the, <laughs> the premise of this movie is AI is created to serve humans and make their lives better, but AI destroys Los Angeles, which I argue they were just serving humanity yeah, and making their lives better by destroying los angeles okay yeah sounds like they were fulfilling their programming well is it the writer's strike what <laughs> right i mean hasn't life been better since the writers went on strike yeah so humans then specifically the united states of america starts to wage a war against ai they the united states bans it and they go out against the world to destroy all AI and new Asia, not East Asia, new Asia. So we're not talking about like Japan, Korea, China. They are outside of the movie. They're not mentioned. And more takes place in sort of, you know, the area from India to, to Vietnam and Thailand, if that makes sense, that geographic area, it's, it's not specifically stated, but you know, it, there's one point where my wife who's been to Thailand says, Oh, this was filmed in Thailand. And then there's other parts, parts that could have been filmed in the Philippines, which we know are popular filming locations for American movies nowadays. So they're the ones supporting AI and they're saying we should live in harmony with AI. Oh, this seems familiar. That reminds you of avatar. The idea of collectivist cultures living in harmony with nature, so on and so forth, even though what is, uh, what's a friend of the show, Alex, uh, Epstein say the, the, the something nurture the coddling nurture or something he uses some phrase that i like i can't remember it right now the the premise that nature is some uh some nurturer uh mother nurture instead of what it is which is a hostile and brutish uh uh thing to be overcome right right you know life wasn't very short before the industrial revolution when That's we right. started to protect ourselves from nature more <laughs> We haven't doubled our lifespan since the Industrial Revolution. Oh, but we've killed the Earth's lifespan. Oh, okay, whatever. Anyway, regardless of that, we see this, right? The idea of the noble savage, right? Just like with Avatar, yeah. same idea. So taking the place of the, the Navi in this movie, we have the AI, right? The AI. They've become more human-like, sort of like Babylon 5, where they have, uh, you know, in Babylon 5, they call them skin jobs. Well, they're yeah. wearing the faces of humans and such. Uh, and there's this whole plot with the main character and he falls in love with a woman and then there's an AI child and all of these things. All right. None of these details really matter all that much because as the movie went on, it had me, it made me have a hard time caring more and more about what happened. Uh, at one point, he, the main character is stuck in a garage in a pickup truck at a farm with the child in his car with him. 
because he goes from like trying to find the creator of the AI so they can eliminate the AI because the the Americans have come up with a huge weapon called Nomad that scans the Earth for AI and destroys it with missiles. Wow. Yeah, I mean, what is this? This is what this movie's from the 1980s, right? Or <laughs> one interpretation I've read about this movie is somebody was like, "Oh, this is all about the war on terror." It's like, are we really making a war on terror movie in the year 2023? The whole point being the AI are terrorists, and we should they, just live in harmony with them. Yeah, we right. We, that, that, the AI say that at one point, right? At one point in the movie, the AI are like, yeah, that was a coding error by a human that caused Los Angeles to be bombed. Uh, they think that if we're not killed, then we'll kill them. But the truth is, we just want to live and we want to leave humans alone. And we're actually programmed to serve them. So if the war ended, everything would be fine. One of the AI characters says that. Which, if that's a metaphor for the war on terror, we're supposed to believe that Islam... Radical Islam, whatever terminology you want to use, the people who committed 9-11, or people who, let me use individualist first language. See what I did there? People who believe similarly to the people who committed 9-11 would just live in harmony with us if we just stopped the war on terror. All right, so very strange metaphor that somebody read into this, and I get how they could read into it, but... Ultimately, so he's in the garage, and somebody throws a timed bomb in there. There is also a dog in the garage. The dog picks up the bomb and rolls it down a hill so it blows up and kills the group trying to kill the main character. No reaction, William? Good doggo? Okay. Then later on in the movie... The Americans send a giant fucking tank into, like, five giant tanks into the wilderness here. And there is a bomb put onto the tank. But the group trying to explode the bomb can't push the detonator because they are destroyed. So the detonator is sitting there. And this is like a handle detonator where you get to, like, flip the cover up and push the button. You know Uh, what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead man's switch. Yes. So a monkey comes over, picks up the handle, opens the cover, and pushes the button. And the tank blows up. So nature's on the side? (laughs) Mother Nature is the main character in this movie? These are just like dog, random things. Was the dog and the monkey actually AI, Justin? If they had done that, that would have made more sense. <laughs> that would have been interesting. They, they, <laughs> dude, there were a bunch of ways they could have made this movie more interesting oh, by doing Lordy. things like that. They could have gone so maybe, in any number I, of directions. Maybe I won't watch this movie then. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. So the cinematography's great. Some of the acting's pretty good. But it's just, dude, you know how they talk about jumping the shark? Yeah, is it? It sounds like, is like it sounds uh, like a, a attempt at Sharknado, uh, sci-fi, but kind of failing. Like it wasn't trying to. But be But that's funny, the right? thing. No, <laughs> the whole movie's trying to be serious, and it's supposed to be this serious meditation of what it means to be alive, and are these AI actually alive or not? 
because the kid is a new type of AI that's been created to grow and learn, and he has new powers that no AI's ever had before. And, I mean, just to spoil stuff, push the spoiler button. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. The main character was undercover trying to find the creator of the AIs, and he falls in love with a woman who she's pregnant. But then his cover is blown, so they send Nomad in, and he thinks she dies while pregnant. And he finds out that she was the creator of the AI, or was her dad, and then she took on the mantle. And she made the kid in the likeness of the, what their kid would have been like. So there's this whole supposed to be meditation on what is humanity, and you know how people are always saying AI are a different species. There's even points where different people are like, oh, AI is the next evolution, and humans are only fighting this because they're worried they're going to be eradicated by AI. So there's supposed to be this whole other thing. This is why I think the war on terror metaphor is short-sighted. I think it misses the whole undercurrent. But this yeah. is supposed be the serious sci-fi meditation by the guy who did Rogue One and I think he's trying to do like these mainstream action things that are cool like dude a monkey blows up a tank like on its own if you told me that isn't that cool yeah yeah it's but a bunch it of it sounds like a movie. bunch of set pieces were written first and then the sci-fi elements were written on top to like string the story together <laughs> oh, you mean what they say Zack Snyder does? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is actually done like that? So that's my new like thing. That. Yeah. Right. That's my new thing here. That's my new thing. We have Jumping the Shark. We have The Monkey Blew Up the Tank. So right, the when a movie gets tank. to the point that your suspension of disbelief is so destroyed, that means The Monkey Blew Up the Tank. And that's what All happened right. with me. Like, there's some stuff at the end they wanted to be sad and my wife was, like, crying. And I looked at her, I go, how are you crying after the monkey blew up the tank? Yeah, it knocked you like out, it, huh? Yeah. It, it took me out. And I don't know, maybe I'm as bad as the woman who was like, oh, they're, why aren't they shaving in the zombie apocalypse? But I don't think it's quite the same thing. Because no. if you saw how big these tanks are, and how, like, without the monkey... Let me put it this way. For a large part of this movie... This had Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark or the first Trolls movie problem. We're through the beginning part of the movie. The main character wasn't making decisions. Things were just happening to him. Yeah. He was put undercover. Then his cover was blown. Then he was extracted. Then they came back to him and asked him to do something else. He wasn't making decisions for like the first third of the movie. It's the same thing with the monkey blowing up the tail. I don't know. So anyway, two stars. This is a, a no bro movie. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's just a, a just no because there's some good stuff here. It's a no bro movie. The Creator by Gareth Edwards starring John David Washington is a no bro movie. So Justin, I think for for some AI palette cleanser, I know I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Uh, Foundations on Apple TV season two finished up. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, so season two season, improved itself. It did. I know season one was completely inconsistent and a little bit all over the place. Season two, much better plot. There's a whole AI plot, and it makes a lot more sense. It's actually setting some things up. It's deviates even more. Is this the David Goyer show based on the novel? Yeah, it, it deviates even more from the novels, but it's keeping a lot of the themes. So uh, it's a it's it's it seems like it's building to go somewhere. I think they're turning the corner on it, and then. Uh, talk about a turnaround. Now, I'm not saying this show is good, but on Prime, 
um, Wheel of Time season two actually started to make sense. Like they 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 actually uh, uh, turned that one around. I don't think it's worth watching yet. I'm not saying that, but uh, season one was so inconsistent and just like uh, costuming was bad. Everything was bad. Um, the acting was good. Some of the writing was just atrocious. Season two has they actually it it's passable. If season two, if the how are, maybe the writer strike helped. I don't know, but uh, season two was better written better acted and uh actually had some emotional scenes in it they have there's a uh i guess a minor spoiler if you haven't read the book the wheel of time series there's lockers in the bar um, a main character is being tortured for part of it they do a really good job of the psychological torture without it being over the top um um and physical it's physical torture as well but um about uh someone being enslaved and it's actually handled very well and so if they can keep this if they can keep the writer strike going so that they whoever's writing now can do season three i think uh i think they could actually turn that series around um but of course uh this prime prime is the same people who gave us uh um uh rings of power so i have very little hope but that it, it is better it is better all right, a couple of recommendations there. You all check that out and let us know what you think. Uh, we're also going to talk about some other things that we could possibly watch going forward. Uh, we have the trailers. I put them in Discord usually the Saturday before we record. So that's you can watch them when you want. Maybe you watch them before the episode, watch them after the episode, or you alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown first trailer night of the hunted is an amc plus or shutter exclusive of horror movie about a woman who goes into a gas station convenience store and then someone starts hunting her in the store i don't know here's the thing i thought production wise cinematography mood this was done very well I thought, you know, her acting was pretty good. Production design was pretty good. However, it just sort of felt like Redneck Saw. And what I mean by that is it was sort of like he was talking about, oh, you know, this is how we live our lives. And he seemed like he was punishing her for the way the world was or some sort of activity that she did or action she took in the past. But in the trailer, I just didn't care. I needed more of a buy-in as far as why I care about this ridiculous premise that someone would be up on a billboard shooting some woman to keep her there and what's motivating all this. So for me, even though I see a lot of the good, this is ultimately a tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I too couldn't really buy into the premise here. I know I'm not a huge horror fan, so or so it probably is partly that, but Eh, it just looked kind of boring. Where are they going to go with this? Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Bloodthirst is... It looks like a Western movie about humans versus vampires. Uh, It looks crisp cinematography-wise, but production budget-wise does not look very high, even though it has... You know, Tara Reid and has a guy from the Saw franchise. Look look at this. We're talking about horror movies and we're mentioning Saw twice in a row here. 
and their acting is as vampires is totally ridiculous and over the top. Anyway, there's a war here, and the humans seem to be fighting all the vampires to get rid of them. And there's one guy who was bit but didn't turn, which that didn't make sense to me for vampires because if a vampire stop starts biting you and stops and doesn't complete the ritual, do you no, you don't turn? Isn't that a bigger deal with zombies if you get bit and don't turn? Which isn't that the yeah, premise of The Last yeah. of Us? Like that one girl can't turn, like the little girl. So I don't know this. I I liked the western aspect here but everything else about this just seemed like hey we have a good premise idea but we didn't execute this on any level tackle tackle this the production value and the acting just really turned me off justin no no way i would watch this it just if i wanted something like this i'd just watch blade blade's so much fun tackle tackle Third trailer. Freelance stars John Cena and Allison Brie. It's about a former military officer who's working as a lawyer and asked to go on an independent bodyguard mission with a journalist into a country that's government is in turmoil and then a coup starts. And John Cena's character is accidentally protecting the reporter. No, well, the reporter's who he's hired to protect. So he's protecting the reporter, but now he is also accidentally protecting the president, who the coup is against, because Allison Bree says we need to do this as a, you know, the, this is a really good story that's happening live and I'm here. So it's one of those John Cena is kind of alone for the ride type deal and he's playing his action star self. Uh, I think the, the, the president is supposed to be a bad person. So I think there's sort of like a crossover. If you remember the Seth Rogen, James Franco movie, the interview here, there's elements of that. I think John Cena and Alison Brie will fall in love in this movie. Not the people, the characters I think their characters will fall in love. However, William, you know how you just said the production value for the previous one really took you out of it. Mm-hmm. I had the same problem here. Something seems really off about this. This seems incredibly low budget or something to me. It seems like it was meant to be a... It's it's sort of like got the budget and the production knowledge of a romantic comedy, but it's trying to be an action movie. So remember how we're starting to see this genre? We saw it with the movie on Amazon Prime with Jennifer Lopez and I can't remember the guy's name. One of the one of the Jake type names where they're going to get married and then their wedding turns into like a drug war or whatever that is because there's the invasion on fun Island. This seems to be secretly smuggling in this genre. Like they're trying to market this as an action movie, but I think it's more meant to be a romantic comedy between John Cena and Alison Brie because it seems to have that production value behind it. And I found that production value very off putting. So as much as I like John Cena and Alison Brie, I have to tackle this. Tackle. Justin, my degree from FU says you are 100% correct. This is exactly that. I watched this and I was like, this is not an action movie. This is a date movie, which is fine, but I'm not going to go on a date to watch an action movie that is also a romantic comedy. Maybe I don't like those two mixes, but I've not seen a good one mix. Maybe like True Lies or something, but that's not even really romantic in that sense. Um, uh, 
for testing true lies i meant true true romance um but yeah i i don't think i think you're hitting the nail on the on the head here the production value looks low and this is definitely a date movie it's got to be if it's not then it's just going to be a terrible action movie which i guess might want to watch then but that's that's just what it looks like to me so tackle tackle final trailer argyle is the new movie by matthew vaughn you know he's known for uh, mo- movies such as the kingsman series uh very interesting trailer here so it starts with john cena and henry cavill and it's like this over-the-top spy movie and you're like this is ridiculous and then it keeps going and you're like it's kind of ridiculous enough that i like it but then you find out that story is just a story written by the main character played by bryce dallas howard however people believe that she has the power to make the future happen because a group of spies read her book and the things in the book supposedly started happening to them. So now she becomes under the protection of this group of spies. This premise is so bonkers that it's interesting, especially that it carries with it this really over-the-top, almost intentionally hacky metaphor where she has a a bag that she carries a cat in and part of the tagline is don't let the cat out of the bag or something of that nature to which you know with that promise there has to be some sort of delivery as far as a twist on the cat in the bag so knowing Matthew Vaughn's history and seeing the ridiculousness of this trailer and the cast I don't know. This this makes me excited. Hug. Hug. Finally, an interesting movie. This, uh, you notice the uh, Argyle everywhere. Yeah, the cats in this, like, sealed. It's oddly sealed. Yeah, there's definitely something going on there. Uh, the preview, uh, the production value looks good, unlike the last one. Um, looks like there's going to be a lot of good action. There's a nice choreographed fight scene in the in the trailer. Um, yeah, I, I think something creepy is going on with the mother too, Justin. Um, but uh, yeah, this this has some this this trailer leaves me wanting to see more. Wow, that's good. So this is definitely a hug for me. Netflix and hug. All right, William. That brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip? Canada loves Nazis. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned that uh, we're still waiting for the first great romantic action comedy. Or, sorry, (laughs) action romantic comedy. I can't even say it in the right order. Either that or that genre is going to die before it even gets started. All right, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If it wasn't just you, this would be me talking in the corner of my closet like a crazy person. It still is that. But, you know, you make me feel a little bit better. If you want to support the show, you can do so through going to themidside.com slash store, themidside.com slash Patreon, themidside.com slash locals. This is how we keep the lights on. You can also go to themidside.com slash the cut and buy my novel. Of course, the best way to grow the show, as always, is to tell a friend, to tell a female friend. Because, like Rush Limbaugh said, if you want to meet women, you go to where the women are. And who talks on the internet the most to get people to listen to things, to get people 
to having things go viral, women. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emazneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a Diane Feinstein free day. Man, I hope there's going to be some more good sci-fi soon. We'll have to wait a whole year for the next Foundation. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. There doesn't seem to be much good sci-fi anymore.